All right. Um, First Corinthians, why don't you grab a Bible and uh, you can turn to chapter 12. Um, we are continuing on in this series called Messy Church, which over 11 chapters, I'm sure you're like, man, oh man, was it messy. <laughs> uh, but we're in actually a new kind of section of the book. Um, in chapters 12, 13, and 14, uh, Paul is uh, again addressing, addressing one topic, which is the topic of spiritual gifts. Um, and so uh, what was happening in the church in Corinth was the Corinthians were creating divisions, again, <laughs> over the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and what, what the divisions were, were basically, well, we have these gifts, so we're just kind of more spiritual than you are. Uh, and really, uh, the focus of Paul in chapters 12, 13, and 14 is really on two specific gifts, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Tongues is mentioned 21 times in these three chapters, and prophecy is mentioned 20 times. And really, if you want to really kind of zero in, Paul specifically is addressing the gift of tongues. Because in Corinth, in this Corinthian church, the thinking was, man, if you can speak in tongues, you're like spiritually elite. You're way better than all the other gifts, right? So there was this pride and this division of like, oh, what's your, your gift is mercy? Blech, is that even a spiritual gift? Like I can speak in languages that no one understands. And there was this kind of elitism and this pride that was in the church. And so Paul in three chapters is going to address this mess that was going on. Um, you'll even notice he starts by, in, in verse one, he says, now concerning so either Paul is um, addressing a question they had, we've noticed that a few times, right? He'll, he'll, he'll answer questions that the Corinthians had sent him by saying, okay, well now concerning meat sacrifice to idols, or now concerning this. So either the Corinthians, we don't know specifically what their question was, but I think either they were asking, well, Paul, which gift is the best? Which spiritual gift is the best to have? Or I think they had already decided which was the best, which in their minds was tongues. And they wanted Paul, can you just kind of weigh in on this? On this? Are we right? Is the gift of speaking in tongues the best gift that you can have? Does it make us more spiritual? So I, wonder, I want you to remember all through this book, the Corinthians, one of the big issues in the church was they wanted to be more spiritual than other people. So pride is a massive issue in this church, and we've seen that with all of these issues that Paul has brought up. The, the type of preachers that you listen to, well, that makes me more spiritual. You, you like Paul the best, I like Peter the best, or I like Apollos, and so that makes me actually a better spiritual person than you. Um, their whole argument about marriage and singleness, it wasn't just like, oh, help us figure out what's pleasing to God, whether we're married or single. No, it was actually, it's I'm more spiritual than you if I'm abstinent. So if I'm a single person who remains abstinent, I am like the spiritual elite. And you're married, you're married to an unbeliever? That makes you like way down here. And so again, it was how can I be more spiritual than people? Um, even meat sacrificed to idols. 
right? In chapters 8, 9, and 10, it was the same thing. I'm so spiritual that I can go to the, the idol sacrifices and the ceremonies because it just doesn't affect me because I'm so spiritual. So this is a, a, a massive issue in this church that's kind of bleeding into all of these areas. And now Paul is going to address how it's bleeding into their view of spiritual gifts. But his whole point in these three chapters is spiritual gifts are not a badge of how spiritual you are. A spiritual gift is a mark of grace in your life. So it's, it's actually quite relevant in our day and age as well because I hear talks like this all the time. You're actually really spiritual if you can speak in tongues. I hear that all the time in our day and age. It's a sign that you're filled with the Spirit. Are you actually filled with the Spirit if you don't prophesy and speak in tongues? Like, I feel like Paul could write this same section to us, being like, to the church in North America, stop trying to be so spiritually elite. So, chapters 12, 13, and 14 uh, are similar to chapters 8, 9, and 10. If you remember, 8, 9, and 10, Paul is, gives this long, winding explanation, right, uh, that kind of builds on each other and then circles back, and he's answering a a simple question, but he takes three chapters to answer it. It's similar. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are one big, long explanation. So here's your homework, okay? I'm giving you homework. Over the ne- We're going to take five or six weeks to get through these three chapters. But your homework in the next while is to sit down and read chapters 12, 13, and 14 in one sitting. Because I think it's really helpful to go, what is Paul's whole big argument concerning tongues and prophecy, but really the outcome is the same of chapters 8, 9, and 10. Paul's whole outcome is, what are you doing as a church to build each other up? And, and what is the missionary effect that your conduct has on, on, on unbelievers? That's really his two whole points. You're arguing over spiritual gifts. How are you building each other up? And how does you using your spiritual gifts affect unbelievers around you? So we're going to look at the first 11 verses of chapter 12, and Paul, this is kind of the groundwork. He's laying this kind of initial argument right out of the gate that then he'll build on in the weeks to come, but he basically makes three points about what does it mean to be a spiritual person? What does it mean to have spiritual gifts? And so he gives three main points. The first one is this, all Christians are spiritual people. Uh, So verse 1, he says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, some, some scholars even are like, okay, what is Paul getting at? It seems such an odd way to start a section on spiritual gifts. People can't say Jesus is cursed or Jesus is Lord. Like, you are pagans, let away. Like, what, what is he getting at? And here's what I think he's getting at. He's trying to lay a base, base uh, level, like a groundwork to say, what makes someone a spiritual person? Because, right, the argument in Corinth is, well, I'm a spiritual person because of the fact that I can speak in tongues. So Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, the Greek phrase for spiritual, spiritual gifts is ton pneumatikon, and you can either translate it spiritual gifts or spiritual people. 
I think both work, but think about what's going on in Corinth. Their argument is, we are very spiritual people, not like those others. So I think, actually, Paul is saying, okay, now I want to talk to you about spiritual people. Concerning spiritual people, what does it mean to be a spiritual person? And so in verse 2, he says, well, when you were pagans, right, before you were followers of Jesus, you were led astray to mute idols, uh, However, you were led. Before they followed Jesus, they worshipped idols that were mute. Meaning, right, we, we talked about this in chapters 8, 9, and 10. An idol's nothing. It's just a piece of wood or metal or gold. It doesn't have any kind of, it's just sitting there, right? And so he says, these idols are mute. They're not speaking to you, right? So you were like that. You were worshipping things that aren't even real and they're mute and you were led away by that. And then he says, well, no one speaking in the Spirit of God, ever says Jesus is accursed. Now, do you know who said that about Jesus? Who were the people that said Jesus is cursed? It was the Jews. Because in Deuteronomy, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So they looked at Jesus. He can't be the Messiah. He's cursed. He is cursed by God. And so Paul's saying, You can't be filled with the Spirit of God if you say that Jesus is cursed. However, he says, neither can you say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So anyone that says Jesus is Lord, Paul is saying, you know that they have the Holy Spirit. No one says that unless they have the Holy Spirit. Like, think about Romans 10, 9. Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to follow Jesus and be saved? It's to declare with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord. Paul says, that's an evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. So, notice what he's doing at the beginning. Who is a spiritual person? Well, In the pagan experience, you just worshipped mute idols. In the Jewish experience, you declared that Jesus was cursed. But in the Christian experience, we know that you have the Spirit of God if you can declare that Jesus is Lord. So Paul's whole first point is, what makes someone a spiritual person? Is it speaking in tongues? Is it prophesying? No. Declaring Jesus is Lord makes someone spiritual. So All Christians are spiritual people. That's Paul's whole, he's leveling the playing field. There's not degrees of, oh, I'm better than you because I have this gift. Nope. If you've declared Jesus is Lord, you are a spiritual, Holy Spirit-filled person. That's what makes you spiritual. Um, This is really important, even for our DNA, like I said. The idea that, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit and you are a spiritual person. Um, years ago, when I was a youth pastor in Maple Ridge, um, there, there was our church, uh, and then there was another church in town that was um, just like very, 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 very charismatic. Um, and they taught at that church that the, the only way to tell if you have the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you should doubt whether you're actually spirit-filled. 
So we had teens that would go to our youth group, and this is what teens often do. They're like, I want to go to every youth group in town because especially when you're like 16 and 17, then I, I'm going for Jesus. No, you're not. You're going for the girls or the boys. <laughs> but they would do that, like, right? Our youth group was Wednesday night, and then the Pentecostal, very charismatic church, their youth group was Thursday night. And so we would often have teens go to ours, and then we'd go to theirs. And I can't tell you the number of conversations I had with teens in my office that would come and say, yeah, last night someone told me that unless I speak in tongues, I actually don't have the Holy Spirit, and I might actually not even be saved. And they would go, is that true, Pastor Andrew? That's, that's kind of the Corinthian attitude, isn't it? Well, we're, you don't speak in tongues? Well, I do. So clearly I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you, do you even have the Spirit if you don't do this? And Paul's whole point is, if you are someone who has declared that Jesus is Lord, you have the Holy Spirit. You are a spirit-filled person. Um, even sometimes um, this kind of thinking uh, comes to me now. Like I've had people who, um, there was one gentleman who called me on the phone and he was asking for prayer because some stuff was going on in his family. And he, he made the comment like, I want to come to you for prayer because I feel like God listens to your prayers more than he listens to mine. Because you're just, you're just more spiritual. And I said, no, no, no. I did it lovingly because he was in a really bad spot. But I said, that's just not true. That is not true. That I have a better access to God because I have the title pastor. No, it's rubbish. Like, brother, you follow Jesus, you can have access, the same access to God the Father. But that kind of thinking creeps in, doesn't it? Where it's just kind of like, well, I just feel like I'm a little bit more spiritual because of the things... Paul's whole point as he leads into this section on spiritual gifts, what makes someone spiritual? What makes you spiritual is declaring that Jesus is Lord. All right, secondly, Paul's second point is there are a variety of spiritual gifts. So start in verse 4 with me. Um, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Um, skip verse 7. We'll come back to that. Verse 8. For, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to, to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So I, I hope you see Paul's whole second point is um, that the Spirit of God has given a variety of gifts to the church. And he says, right, there's a variety of gifts, there's a variety of services, there's a variety of activities, yet it's the same God empowering all of those gifts. You might have noticed that the triune nature in verses 4 and 5, he mentions spirit, Lord, Father, like, right? Just like there's diversity in the triune God, there's diversity in the gifts. And so what he does then is he lists nine gifts in verses 8 to 10. You have to know this is not an exhaustive list. Paul's not uh, saying that these are more important. That's why he starts with them. He's basically ch uh, chosen nine gifts as an example of variety. And so what I want to do this morning is just briefly explain each gift uh, so that we can see the variety. 
right? And I'm going to dive into tongues and prophecy uh, in more depth in the weeks to come because Paul, Paul does as we go along. But I think this is important because I think there's so much confusion in our day and age over what the spiritual gifts are. And here's usually what happens. Either we see Christians and denominations and churches abusing the spiritual gifts where you go, I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. And you go, man, that seems like it's like directly disobeying how God wants us to use the gifts. And then some of you, your, your response to that is then, well then, let's just say there's no gifts anymore. Those crazy gifts, they don't operate anymore because if that's what it is, then it can't be that. And I think actually both extremes are wrong. And we do that with everything, don't we? We see one extreme and then we go, well, I'm going to do the opposite of that just to be safe, right? So what I want to do is explain these gifts so we go, how did Paul and the early church actually expect these gifts to operate? What do they look like? Why does God give us such a, a variety of gifts? So let's work uh, through each one of these. Paul starts by saying, um, some people have the utterance of wisdom, and some people have the utterance of knowledge. Um, sometimes these are called in our day and age, like, I have a, a word of knowledge for you. I have a word of wisdom for you. I need to stress this. This gift is not fortune-telling. That is how it is portrayed in many of the extremes over here. And I hear things like, uh, I see events online, and there's been o- events in our own town when, you know, prophet so-and-so or apostle so-and-so is going to come, and he stands up in front of a crowd, and he goes, uh, I'm getting a word of knowledge. Someone here, your name starts with a B, and someone's like, Betty, <gasps> no way! And it's like, I feel like you have some good in your life, and then there's some bad. And she's like, how did he know that? That is not the gift that Paul is talking about. It's just not. It's not fortune telling. It's not trying to like to uh, give things that, oh, how does he know my address when he's never met me? That's not what this gift is. Here's why that the Corinthians were obsessed with that kind of wisdom and knowledge. I have secret wisdom. I have secret knowledge, right? Think about all the way back to the beginning of the book where Paul addresses what is actual true wisdom, right? I know it's a long time ago that we covered it, but Paul says, do you want to know what true wisdom that was hidden for ages is? It's Jesus. True wisdom is the gospel. It's not some Gnostic, I have a special access to only wisdom that I know and I can tell your fortune. That's not what this gift is. Do you want to know what it is? If someone has the gift to, uh, to utter wisdom and knowledge, it's someone who has deep insight into Scripture and into the knowledge of God and who can give godly wisdom and advice. They have the ability to discern it's the application of knowledge. It's, it's people, like we all have people, don't you? You have someone in your life uh, who's a follower of Jesus. When you meet a crossroads where you're like, man, oh man, I don't know what the way forward is to please Jesus. And you say, I, I need to call this person. Because they just have, they just seem to have some kind of wisdom and knowledge that I don't have. And you call them and you say, what is your advice? And the advice they give you, you'll go, Oh my goodness, that feels like it's directly from God. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. It's because they have that spiritual gift. They have the utterance of wisdom and knowledge. 
They're able to, to know the gospel so deeply and how it, it speaks into all of these aspects. Some people are just gifted in that, aren't they? Like, I have several people. Like, my, my dad is one of them that I think he just has this gift of wisdom. I, I shared uh, uh, yesterday in the Ephesians class um, when I became a pastor here, uh, so that's like nine years ago, uh, I think it was in the first month being here, someone died. And uh, it was kind of expected that, well, you're the pastor, so you'll go over to this person's house and comfort the family. And I'm like, I've never done that before. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to use the gospel to comfort. The, like, so I called my dad as I'm driving to this house. Dad, please help me. I'm like, I have no idea what to say. And then he just gave such wisdom that I'm like, man, why didn't I think of that? It's because I, I, don't, I don't know if I have that gift, right? There's others, there's, uh, there's a few people in our own congregation that I will go to to say, ah, man, I need some advice in this. And the advice they give, I'm like, how do you have such wisdom and knowledge? It's because they're gifted. The Holy Spirit has given them that gift. So listen, just because you see it abused and you see people who make money off of it and they're fortune telling, don't throw the gift out, right? It, it, it's meant to operate biblically and correctly and we go, it's for our building up and our edification. God bless the people who are gifted with wisdom and knowledge. We need them. We need them. Uh, Paul continues, right, the gift of faith. Uh, faith is a gift that the Spirit gives. Now, this is not like initial saving faith. All of us um, have faith, right, to, to trust in Jesus for our salvation. This gift would be a deeper expression of faith. This is the kind of faith that allows people to undergo hardship, martyrdom. It's a conviction that God is in control, and I'm going to trust him in this. So even, I'll give you an example from our own church. There's a couple in our church, and the wife came and talked to me and said, man, we're going through like this financial problem, and there's relationship issues, and man, oh man. But my husband, he's just kind of like totally at peace with it. And, you're, and she's like, aren't you worried that we're going to lose everything? And he's just like, no, actually, because I have faith in Jesus that he's got this. That's an example of someone who has faith where you go, I don't understand how you can be so calm and at peace. And how do you have such faith through trials and, and hardships? Because the Spirit gifts certain people to have that kind of deep level of faith. Uh, Paul continues, the gifts of healing. Now, so there's certain gifts that we're kind of like, ooh, right? We're like, faith, yeah, that seems normal. But the gifts of healing, what does that mean? Why is it plural? Isn't that interesting? The gifts of healing, not the gift of healing. Uh, I, I think probably because this is not a permanent gift given to someone who then should go start a healing ministry on TV. I think the Spirit of God empowers someone to pray for healing for someone else and by God's grace, that person is healed. Praise God. But what I don't think the Bible is saying is now you should go start a healing ministry where people pay you and then you can heal them. Like, I don't think that's at all what Paul means. He means, praise God, that occasionally the Holy Spirit will gift someone and I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for someone and God healed them because I went and prayed for them. Praise God. So even think about Paul. Paul 
had the ability, we see in the book of Acts, to heal people. And sometimes he healed people, and sometimes he didn't. Right? So we, we, hear, we see examples when Paul heals people, and sometimes they said, like, they, his shadow, or maybe that was Peter, but one of them, his shadow crosses on their healed, and it's just, like, amazing. But do you know, and Paul writes in the book of Philippians, he says that Epaphroditus was ill and near death. But did he go heal him? No. 2 Timothy 4.20, it says that Paul left Trophimus, who was very ill. He said, you're not going to come with me, Trophimus. Well, Paul, if you have the gift of healing, why don't you just heal him? Because the gifts of healing are sporadic. I don't believe that they're landing on someone for the rest of their lives, and now I can heal everyone that I come into contact. No, I think the Spirit empowers someone for a specific moment to pray for healing, and God heals them. So we should praise God for that. That some people, God uses them that way. Um, the working of miracles is next, which is, is very similar. Uh, it's events that we would say, okay, that's miraculous that that happened. And there are some people, it's similar to healing. I believe sometimes the Spirit empowers people to pray for something and miraculously it happens. I'll give you an example. So not this forest fire year, but several forest fire uh, years ago. It's like, which one? They're all, our province is burning every summer. Uh, but it was like years ago, there was an MB church in uh, Williams Lake, and one of the fires was coming very close to the church building and to some of the, the, uh, the congregational, their houses. And there was a group of people that went out and they stood there and they prayed, oh Lord Jesus, please stop this fire. Send it the other way. And do you know what happened? The wind came and blew the fire the other way. So you go, well, did they go now start a miracle crusade to make money? No, they just said, praise God. In that instance, there was a miracle that was worked by the Spirit. Hallelujah. Right? That's, that's the working of miracles. And so we should, we should all be praying for that. That when we pray, miracles would happen. Praise the Lord. But it's not an expectation, well, now I have that gift and so I can do it all the time. No, of course not. There's certain gifts that it, it, it seems that the Holy Spirit comes and gifts you for that specific instance. Uh, Paul then says uh, to another prophecy, which is another one of those ones that were like, hmm, what does that mean? Uh, prophecy uh, consists of spontaneous, spirit-inspired, intelligible messages orally delivered in the gathered assembly for edification and encouragement of the people. So the gift of prophecy, however, this is one that I feel like is often over in the abused category uh, because people will say, well, I am like a capital P prophet equal to Elijah and Elisha, and thus saith the Lord. That doesn't exist anymore. The role, the office of prophet, Jesus is the final. We don't need another prophet. However, the gift of prophecy operates differently. The gift of prophecy is when the Holy Spirit impresses on me, I need to go and give a word of encouragement to Graham or to whoever, right? To say like, I don't know why, but I feel like the Spirit wants me to say that, you know, in, in Psalm 13, it says this. And I don't, I don't know. I just feel like that would encourage you. And, and then Graham would go, yeah, that, that's exactly what I needed. See, in our day and age, we have this idea that Prophecy is simply telling what the future will be, which even biblically, 
That's actually a small part of the prophet's job. Biblically, do you know what the vast majority of the prophet's job was? Hey, I was going to say idiots, but no. Uh, (laughs) Hey, people who are wandering away from God, don't you remember? That's like by and large what the prophets did. Remember what he's done for you. Repent. Turn back. Now, yes, there were aspects where they said, if you don't, Assyria is going to come. Babylon's going to come. So, yeah, they predicted the future. But by and large, the prophet's job was remind them of the past. So, like, for instance, you know, years ago when the, or a few years ago now when the election was happening in the States and it was Donald Trump against Joe Biden, um, I watched videos, every single self-declared prophet in the United States said, I declare, God has told me Donald Trump will win the election by a landslide. And what happened? And I know some people are like, well, he actually won, but it was a scam, whatever, right? He lost. He lost. So biblically speaking, we should go stone all those prophets, but, but here, because they're not using the gift that Paul's talking about. If you have the, a gift of prophecy, you're not supposed to stand up and I'm, I'm predicting that this is going to... No, the gift of prophecy is meant to edify and encourage the believers. So I don't know, like you've had experiences, like, well, maybe you have, but I have had experiences when someone has come to me and said, um, I don't know why. But I feel like the Holy Spirit has just, I just can't get this out of my mind that I'm supposed to encourage you with this word, right? Uh, there was one where, uh, in Timothy, where it says, let, let no one look down on you because you're young. I remember starting off as a youth pastor, and someone came to me and said, I don't know why, but I feel like God wants to encourage you with that specific verse. Just because you're 20 years old and you're a pastor now, don't let people look down on you because you're young. And I went, whoa, that's exactly what I needed to hear. So that person gave me a prophetic word. Right? It, it's meant to encourage us. And I know you, um, uh, there's been instances when it's like to the minute. Someone, I, I'm going through something and I have this hardship at like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And then someone calls me the next day and says, for some reason, at like exactly 2 in the afternoon, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, you have to pray for Andrew right now. And I said, that's unbelievable. Because that's exactly when I needed prayer. So we should say, praise God that he does that. So, it's just, so just because it's abused, right, and all the prophets who declared Trump would win were wrong, don't throw the gift out, how it's meant to operate and, and encourage us and edify us. Paul then says that we have to, another gift is the ability to distinguish between spirits. What he means is the ability to, to judge whether words of prophecy are, are true or not, if they're real, if they're actually from God. It's properly judging prophecies. In 1 John 4, 1, we're told, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we're not supposed to, just because someone comes to you and says, I feel like I have a prophetic word for you, we're not supposed to go, okay, I'll believe whatever you say. We're supposed to, and some people are gifted in this, to distinguish between, yeah, actually, I don't think that's from the Spirit of God. So some of you may have heard this example, but John Piper um, pastor in the States, um, years ago, he said after a service, he, he had a woman come up to him and said, I have a prophetic word for me from God. Your son's going to die. And Pastor John was just kind of like, whoa. And then he took it to a few other people to distinguish, like, is this actually from you, God? 
And his son didn't end up dying, so they were able to go, okay, please don't do that again to the woman who said that. That was not from the Spirit of God. Don't do that again. Because that was not, there, there was a spirit involved maybe, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. So people have, are, are given the, the gift to distinguish. Okay, is this from God? Is this not? We've got to weigh out. And we're going to get into that later where Paul says, like in the church service, you have uh, prophets who speak and then people who then weigh out. Okay, is this from God? If it's not, throw it out. Paul says to another uh, are various kinds of tongues. Now this is the... This is the gift that was causing all the issues. Uh, and we're going to get into this a lot over the next few weeks, but a short definition is a tongue is a language, a spirit-inspired uh, utterance uh, that it's, it's someone speaking a language that they don't understand. Now, a couple of caveats. Nowhere in the Bible are we told that someone who speaks in tongues is out of control we're never told that like their eyes roll back in their head and they just, they're out of control. It's not speaking gibberish. But it's a language that you speak that you, you're like, how do I know? I don't even know this language. How am I speaking this language? And it's speech that's directed towards God. It's, it's often called praying in tongues. It's speech that you are praying towards uh, God. Now, it's interesting because, again, this is an example of a gift that often gets abused, and I've been in situations where it is abused, where the pastor at a church will say, okay, everyone stand up. Let's all at the same time speak in tongues. Actually, Paul forbids that later on. He says, don't do that. If you're going to speak in tongues, one at a time. And if there's no interpretations, shut up, is what Paul says. Sit down, honestly. It's like that, that kind of strong language. It's not this like, oh, I'm so spiritual because I can babble on and on. That's what the Corinthians wanted. Look how spiritual they are. And Paul says, no. The gift of tongues is a language that you speak that you're like, I don't know Mandarin. Why am I praying in Mandarin? I don't know Swahili. Why all of a sudden am I praying in Swahili? Because praise God, he's given you that gift. Now, the, the, the last gift is equally as important, he says, to another, the interpretation of tongues, which would be the ability to translate what the individual has just stood up and spoken, even though you don't know the language, to be able to go, for some reason, I understand what you're saying, and here's what God's saying. So let me give you an example of how that would work. Let's say we're in our church gathering and someone stands up um, who's not Chinese, never been to China, never studied Mandarin, and all of a sudden begins to stand up and speak in Mandarin. And we would all go, that's a little odd. And then someone on the other side of the church would stand up and go, I, I don't know Mandarin, but for some reason, I understand what they're saying. And so then, they would translate for us, and then we would weigh out, okay, is this from God or not? Right? It's again, like, distinguishing it's not, it's not represented in the Bible as chaos. I'll give you an example, another example. When I was a teenager, there was a missionary who came to our church to share with us, and she was a missionary to China. Uh, and so uh, in her talk that she gave about what God was doing, she said there was an event where uh, a bunch of people were gathered, and she just thought, well, I'm here to just be at the event. And then they said, I don't even remember her name, you know, Sister So-and-So, will you just come up and share a little bit just to encourage us? And she was like, uh, okay, and so she got up, and there wasn't a translator, and she just started to speak in English, being like, I hope some, pe some of these people can, can understand this, and then she sat down, and the person next to her said, hey, when did you learn how to speak fluent Mandarin? 
And then he's like, what are you talking about? I was speaking in English. Oh, no, you weren't. And what you've done is now you've blessed, they all heard you speak. I mean, that's like Acts 2 kind of stuff. They all heard you speak in a language that you've never studied because at that moment, God gave you the gift of tongues to bless this, this meeting. Praise God. We're going to get into more, right? We'll unpack more, more around prophecy and tongues. But I hope what you're seeing is Paul's listing these nine gifts because I, I think he wants to see, do you see how diverse they are? There's a variety of gifts in the church. We need them. Right? So the Corinthians who were saying, actually, the only gift we need is tongues. That makes us super spiritual. I kind of like that Paul puts tongues last on the list. <laughs> He's like, they're all needed. The gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy. We need them all. There's not one that's better than, than the other. And they're all given by the same spirit. So there's a variety of gifts given to the church. Uh, Paul's last point. Uh, Spiritual gifts are for our unity and for the common good. So verse 7, he he says that. We we skipped over it, but here we are. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why why does God give spiritual gifts to us? It's for our good. And then verse 11, he says, All of these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Spiritual gifts are meant to unite us as a church, and it's meant for the common good. It's meant to build up each one of us. And the Holy Spirit gives out to each individual as he chooses. Isn't that amazing? So I know sometimes, like, I've talked with people who are like, ah, you know, you got the gift of preaching. That's such a cool one. I have the gift of administration. And I'm like, do you realize this church would implode if we didn't have the gift of administration? <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating, right? But we do that. We're like, oh, some gifts are better than the other. And Paul's like, no, we need all the gifts for the common good. They're meant to build up the, the church. We need all of them. But what the Corinthians were doing is they were turning gifts into showtime, Right? It was just heightened individualistic spirituality. As I use my spiritual gift, I hope people are noticing how spiritual I am. And Paul's saying the gifts, when you gather, they're actually for mutual edification. We're meant to serve one another. Like when we gather together corporately as a church and someone encourages you by their gift of faith, it's meant to build you up. If someone says, I just feel like I need to pray with you. The Holy Spirit has been kind of like putting you on my heart. Can I pray with you? That's supposed to build you up. You're not supposed to leave church jealous of other people's gifts. (laughs) Because then we've missed the point, right? The point is we use our gifts to serve one another and to, to mutually edify each other. So as we close, a few things just to think about. Um, number one, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't believe the lie that some gifts make you more spiritual than others. I feel like that kind of thinking still exists in a small way in our, in our North American church. It's just kind of like, well, certain gifts, you're just better than me. Please don't believe that lie. If you have declared that Jesus is Lord, you are a spirit-filled Christian. You have the Holy Spirit. You have gifts to give the church. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the second point uh, for application. Listen, we need your gifts. Paul's going Paul's to talk about in the next f- few weeks that we need even the small parts of the body. He's going to use an analogy, right? 
He says, if your body was just an eyeball, what a terrible body that would be. If we all had the gift of preaching, that would suck. Because then there's no one who can do anything else. So, listen, like, if, if you're a spirit-filled Christian, if you have said that Jesus is Lord, we need your gift. We desperately need your gift. So don't believe the lie that, well, I don't have to use my gift in the church. No, you do. We need you. Use your gift. So that would be my encouragement to us. I mean, it's quite a, a, a simple application. Use your gift. Find out what your gift is. Ask people, where do you see me gifted? And how can I use my gift? And come and talk to us, and we want to help you use your gift. Because I think if all of us are using our gifts, you know what will happen? This church will thrive. It's for our common good. We will be built up as believers if we all use our gifts. So, Father, I just thank you for your word. Um, God, I, I just thank you, uh, Holy Spirit, that you have gifted us. And spiritual gifts are not a mark of spiritual superiority. Spiritual gifts are a mark of grace. Uh, God, it's your grace that causes you to give us gifts. And so, God, I just pray for all of us in this room, those who are followers of Jesus, who maybe have believed the lie that, well, I'm just not, of a, not as good of a Christian because I'm not gifted this way. Or, you know, so-and-so is just more spiritual than me because they have this gift. Uh, God, I, I just pray that we wouldn't believe that lie and that we would realize that our, our spiritual gifts are not for our pride and to make us look good. Our spiritual gifts are to serve one another. So I pray that we would do that. I pray that uh, people in this church would, would be able to figure out and discern what their gifts are and then just serve in them. Um, God, we actually miss out when we don't use our gifts, and, and when we actually serve in the area that we're gifted, oh man, it just gives you life. It's like operating in your sweet spot. So I, I just pray, God, that you would convict us that if we are spirit-filled people who declare that Jesus is Lord, we have gifts to offer the church. And would we use them, God? And I pray that we as a church would just be edified and built up, and that when we come on Sundays, we would be excited to use our gift to bless others, and that when we leave on Sundays, our hearts would be full because we've been mutually edified and encouraged. So God, just do that work in our hearts uh, for your glory and for our edification, and we just pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.